0: Hey, Joe. Hey, what time is it? It's time for another episode of Runtime Rundown. Let's go! Hello, everybody. I was waiting to see if Joe was going to jump in because I feel like we've fallen into a general pattern Of Joe kicking off the episode. And I kind of like it. uh, Oh, that's
1: funny. Oh, I'll I'll keep that in mind for next time. Because I feel like we've fallen into a general pattern of alternating.
0: And so I was waiting for you to jump in there. I mean, we have to do an assessment. I feel like I feel like you always go like, hey, "Hello, everybody! Welcome to another episode of Runtime Rundown."
1: <laughs> I can I can still. Hey, hello, everybody! Welcome to another episode of Runtime Rundown. This is
0: Joe, like and that's Evan. <laughs> that there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay, we're back um, every week. The inexorable march. Uh, Joe, what's new with you? What's new with me? Um,
1: Oh, we talked about forums last week, and uh, y- I, you brought up some good points about accessibility, and so I kind of looked into it, I dug into it after we talked, and I'm really glad that you brought up these points, because I kind of like, it exposed some some gaps in my knowledge, and I figured it all out, and and it was great, and and uh, we talked a little bit over the, like, the next couple of days, and we're kind of back and forth, because there was some some confusion about, about how to make it work, but uh, in the end, I got to a good solution that was accessible and simple, and I was very happy with it.
0: Uh, Those are great. Those are great words. I actually just was listening to a talk today uh, about general accessibility, um, which isn't related to code necessarily, but like the general thought process around accessibility and learned a lot. So it's on my mind uh, like today and every day. Um, But there was an interesting point in there, which was there was actually just like a lot of points, but one one of the points was use the language that the person wants to use, like saying differently abled or like, handy capable can be very insulting uh so like just use like disabled or disability unless they tell you otherwise unless the person tells you otherwise so i thought that was interesting there's always so much to learn in this space um Mm -hmm. and you know it's i think now hopefully people are still hopefully people are more committed to making sure we have equitable experiences uh but as much as we can do i think the better yeah definitely uh what's new with you uh let's see so i had a uh, powerlifting meet on Sunday. So I was basically just like, um, if you took like a thing, a hamburger and threw it in the dryer, that was me <laughs> Monday. <laughs> uh, that was me Monday. And basically Tuesday as well, I was just like broken. Um, that's how I uh, everything. my hamburgers. There you go. Yeah. That's a good strategy. Uh, I it, was, it went well. We raised a bunch of money. So the meat was a charity meat. So there was like no award ceremonies or anything. All the money went to uh, local animal shelters in Massachusetts. So all, all told the meat raised uh, just a, I think a little over $4,000 for animals, uh, for like nice. local dog shelters and stuff. Wow, that's so that's awesome. pretty cool. Yep. You and, keep um, You keep
1: saying meat and I think you're talking about like hamburger meat.
0: <laughs> ah, no. So M-E-E-T. So a <laughs> yeah, powerlifting competition, but I've, got I preface this by talking about meat as an M-E-A-T, <laughs> which is very confusing. Um, so I get where that's coming from, but it was really good. I did well, um, you know, won my weight class, uh, which is not impressive because I was the only one in it technically. So, you know, that's always a fun one because I'm, I'm at an age now where like very few people compete in powerlifting at 35 plus. So I'm in the sub master's division. So it's me. It's just me alone. Like there's Ooh. no, <laughs> so I always, <laughs> I win because I'm the only one, um, nice. <laughs> which is, which is great. Uh, but yeah, that's what's new. So, you know, we're on to the next training cycle. We're competing again in July. So it's a, it's a long time horizon. Uh, we should be fun.
1: That sounds fun. Um, I used to do like a little bit. I mean, nothing compared to what, you, what you're what you doing, a little bit of like training. And man, I just remember it's miserable sometimes when you get to the end of, at least it was for me, like the end of whatever goal
0: I'm trying to hit. And I'm like, oh, no, yeah. I'm just oh, I'm so just tired all the time. I am jealous of people that just like go to the gym, get a pump, have fun, because that's like towards the end of training cycles, which are months long. So you're thinking like your your horizons are like three four months at a time. The last four weeks usually is like every time you go into the gym, you're like I might not come out of this thing. You're like <laughs> <laughs> I'm go- I'm gonna go in and just like kill myself to do like just a deadlift. And then you're like, why am I even doing this? So towards the end, I have existential crises all the time. It's like, why am I doing this anymore? And then that'll apply to all aspects of life. Cause I like hurt my knee walking down the stairs. Cause you literally, you become so specific at one task that you're not good at anything else. Uh, but anyway, yep. so that's too much powerlifting talk. <laughs> um, uh, so
1: well, well, let's get into, uh, let's get into performance lifting talk. <gasps> so we, uh, uh, well, let's get, let's get right into this. What you reading?
0: Yeah, uh, I am reading an article called A Web Performance Audit Checklist written in 2019. This is a Medium article, which always bumps me out but because uh, I, I don't like Medium as a concept. But there's a person named David Gilbertson. Um, and this is sort of like the TLDR, of this article is is going through web performance sort of at a high level. Um, how you instrument it, a metric that you can look at. This is sort of if if you're new to performance, uh, this is a good article as a starting point. How you instrument it, what uh, metric you should look for. Um, probably like four or five four or five things you can do to generally improve your performance if you haven't already tuned it. So this isn't this isn't going to be final mile performance, like you're trying to get the last 50 milliseconds out of your website, this is going to be sort of the, 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 uh, beginning and middle mile of your performance journey is how I would get yeah, this like, article.
1: It's like a bunch of low hanging fruit. Um, yeah, I, that's so a way I, easier to say, to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I used to read a lot more on medium and I don't read it really any, uh, anymore at all, but um, this is one of the people I used to follow on medium this guy David Gilbertson I, I just like his writing style. He's like kind of like this funny dry humor. Uh, I think he's Australian um, and it's interesting because I haven't gone back and and read this article in in kind of a while but um but yeah so so uh yeah let's just let's just jump into it. So he's gonna be talking about these are you know all the things that you can. Do when you're just starting to look at, uh, you know, I think he, I think he has worked with companies. He comes in as a contractor, companies who really don't know anything. They haven't done anything to try and improve performance, and so he's like, okay, number one, you can like uh, uh, wor- turn on compression, so you can just turn on like Gzip or Bratley, and he recommends Brotley. Um, These are two different com- compression algorithms that will take your uh, uncompressed assets way down in size, and so this is like kind of a fundamental thing when you're thinking about uh, performance, which is like how much, uh, how many bytes are you shipping to the, to the client, to your user's browser before they can start actually using your site. So he recommends Bratly and he recommends, uh, turning it up to 11. That's his, that's his whole, his whole spiel.
0: Yeah. I want to go back a little bit. Um, so the first, the first place to start is instrumentation. And like, what that means is how are you tracking performance? So I, I want to just call out a couple things. One is, if you don't know how your, if you don't have anything right now, you can go in Chrome and go use Lighthouse. And if you're not familiar with Lighthouse, it's a, a tab in your um, Dev Tools, and you can run an audit and get a basic concept of the the core performance metrics that Google tracks and we all kind of look for. Um, so this person, you know, he's talking about instrumenting a metric called time to interactive. Uh, which is like it's sort of a complex time to interactive is what what I call like a synthetic metric. It's um it's a compilation of a couple different things in the browser that that all put together tell you basically when a website is able to be used. Uh, so it's it's not just like time to first paint, which is when the first thing shows up in the website, which you can arbitrarily optimize and make that super fast. It's not. Um, Largest contentful paint, which is when the biggest thing of your website loads in, which is typically like if you've got asynchronous data. Time to interactive is, um, you know, when you can actually use something on the website. So basically, when everything's loaded and your long your main thread is open. So he's talking about that sort of the the main thing that you should look for uh, because it generally speaks to when your website is usable and then how you instrument it. He's talking about console logging performance now. And then picking that up in your measurement place of choice. Uh, and he says, I think
1: that's my quote instrumentation. That's like part of his like the dry right. humor of this article, I think.
0: Yeah, don't do this. Um, <laughs> don't, don't do this. What you should use is uh, something bulletproof. And uh, just as like my own, I, th- this is a subject that I'm like super deep in. So I, I don't want to go crazy, but. Um, measure TTI. I would prefer CTCI, which is click to content interactive, which is the slowest of either TTI or largest contentful paint. It's going to get you the most accurate metric. And the, one of the ways you can measure that is with, um, boomerang. So it's a third party library, uh, from red hat. Um, and it's, you just like drop a script into your website and it's going to measure this for you. And then you can get uh, you know, dashboarding and all sorts of stuff. You could, you don't really want to do this yourself with a console log because it's complicated to know. Uh, different browsers implement these things differently. For instance, largest contentful paint is not a metric measured by Firefox. So if you try and do this stuff yourself, you probably get it wrong. So I would find a third-party solution, instrument, and look for CTCI as your metric. So I just want to start there.
1: Yeah, that's a good place to start. I, I, uh, I fell into the trap and that's a good, it's a good thing I did. Cause now I can call it out that I meant to do that. I didn't really mean to do that, but I fell into this trap that people often fall into, which is like trying to fix performance before they measure it, which you're like the first thing you should do if you're looking at performance and really anything that you're trying to improve is f- Make sure there's actually a problem for one thing. You know, if you're trying to optimize something, make sure that you have a a baseline to optimize against. And you might discover that actually during that measuring, you don't have a a real problem. But if you know you have a problem, measure it first and so that you can have a baseline to compare to as you make each of these improvements. So so, yeah, I I started just by jumping into the code and shouldn't have done it. And you caught me so uh so yeah so so time to interactive and there are all these all these metrics um like you mentioned time to interactive uh time to first paint that um they are like used as google tends to use them as metrics and people uh then measure or or companies measure against those particular metric metrics because um because they say you know uh x percentage that you can drop, or or if you drop your, I don't know, time to, time to, intera- I don't know the exact numbers, but if it's like, if you, every, every hundred milliseconds, you drop your time to interactive, it increases revenue by like X percent. So there's, there are these numbers that uh, companies will attach to, uh, these performance metrics in terms of money, and then they start chasing these numbers. And I think there's like a certain amount to be gained from that, but I think that you also have to be careful with that. Um.
0: I, well, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I bet you have you a thought about that. Yeah, I got lots of thoughts. Um, <laughs> so, you want to be careful with that because performance is a zero sum game if you choose a benchmark, but your entire organization likely doesn't see it that way. So, if you like, if you have a product goal of we want our TTI to be three seconds, four seconds. Uh, you have to be comfortable with the fact that if you ship a feature that busts you over that you have to roll it back or you start making concessions because because it's like performance is you have to be vigilant to to remain performant because yeah. typically performance is at an intersection of the amount of code that you're delivering to your customers, the complexity of your application all this stuff that develops over time. It's rare that you ship less code over time that right. you reduce you, the size it- of your application. Yeah, yeah, like if you're shipping
1: a new feature, are you then re- removing an old feature so that you no. keep your keep your like bytes
0: equal? Probably Almost not. Almost never. Almost never. Yeah. And and you're likely adding network calls, you're you're always doing something that is going to make performance worse and it's rare that you're optimizing performance for performance's sake. So it's just difficult. What you what you should use this for is to is to influence decision making. So this is another section that he has uh, right in the beginning, which is uh, figure out your user split. So you start measuring performance. That's number one. At least just get a body of metrics or a, a body of data, which is these are CTCI or TTI scores, and then figure out: Are your users typically brand new? Uh, are you like a, I don't know, a coupon site, and you're getting tons of new visitors all the time, or are you uh, like Reddit, and you're you're getting a lot of repeat visitor usage? Uh, and you use that information to make choices because if you are getting lots of repeat visitor usage, you could potentially optimize for that type of visitor. I think arguably most optimizations work for all users. So I wouldn't necessarily like not do certain things, just be, or like only go after. So one example, if you have lots of repeat visitors, this person talks about um, caching. So like, you know, really heavily cash your assets so that your repeat visitors have those assets available to them. I would say do that regardless. Uh, if you you know d- just optimize in general. Uh, you you want to yeah. optimize for speed to first byte for your first user for sure, but you also just cache stuff unless there's a reason not to because it's like the high cardinality files and you don't have a good cache busting strategy, definitely cache stuff.
1: Yeah, I I don't see any real downside of like caching. I wonder I wonder if the way that he's thinking about it is like if you need to make a trade-off between between caching and something else. Like if if you need to make a trade-off between one group of people versus another, the repeat repeat visitors versus versus first time visitors, and you maybe don't have the bandwidth right now to optimize for the first time experience. You know, maybe then you're like, Okay, but but we can still get some some benefit for the repeat just by like caching things and that's a pretty pretty quick Uh, quick fix Um, related to that is service workers so uh, so service workers are something they're not new anymore uh, but they so they've been around for a while it's basically um, like a specialized web worker so it's it, uh, it it is running in a different thread in your browser and the service worker is Uh, listening for network calls from like from your javascript and so uh, it's sitting in between your javascript and the network and if it sees any kind of network call go out it can do whatever you want with it but like in general uh, what what people tend to do with it for uh, for uh, performance optimization is they cache assets so what that means is if somebody visits your site and they uh, they you know download all this JavaScript at first it gets cached in the service worker and then the next time they go visit your site this is this is cu- uh, called a, a progressive web app the next time they visit your site even if they don't have a network connection at the time or like a really slow network connection they get the assets that they had previously downloaded cached really quickly like they don't actually hit the network so the way that you can set up a service worker is basically say um, serve me these assets that are that have been cached right away and while you're doing that go to the network and get the most up-to-date assets and serve those and this probably like you know if you're using uh, any kind of web apps you're probably experiencing this and just maybe not knowing it um but like you know instagram for example like they will cache all of the the last images that you had had seen. So that the next time you go back to their web app, you'll see those first and it won't feel like it'll feel really snappy. But then while you're doing that, it will be fetching the most, most recent ones. And so it's uh, it's kind of this, like um, what's the term? It's like a little bit of like a, 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 it, it decreases the perceived uh, latency because you're seeing something that you're like, Oh, that's a, that's a, I remember looking at that picture. And while you're having that thought, it's going to the network to, to search, to, um, to fetch the most recent stuff.
0: Yeah. Along, along the same lines, um, CDNs are great. So he talks a lot about CDNs or he talks a little bit about CDNs. Um, it's a content delivery network. So there's a bunch of them. Uh, Cloudflare is one cloud front is another, uh, there's just a bunch of CDNs and, and basically CDNs are just like edge computing. So you take an asset and you, it gets distributed all over the world. And when a user requests something, it it directs that request to the closest asset. So it shortens your wire time. Uh, so like the, the or rather wire distance. So the distance between the requesting machine and where the asset lives. So CDNs are like a phenomenal thing. Uh, for instance, if you're using a statically generated site, uh, you can take all of those static generated assets, or at least most of them probably, put them in a bucket somewhere and then front them with a CDN. and then when people hit your site they get the CDN assets and it'll be very very fast near instantaneous right because if there's a, the point of presence is nearby, which it likely is, you know a lot of these like Cloudflare and stuff like that have 500, 600 points of presence all over the world so that that wire weights or the wire length is going to be really short, you'll get those assets instantaneous and then you can further cache them with a service worker uh, so that when they have no internet connection they can grab that asset. Um, so that makes the website feel really fast and optimizes for repeat visitors. Um, first visitors in general, what you want to try and do is get as little total bytes to their computer as possible to optimize that first visit speed. And there's a bunch of other stuff you can do to make it feel fast. But at the end of the day, it's like, how much code are you shipping to their browser the first time? And then you cache a bunch of it. So when they come back, it's really, you know, it's much quicker. Um, but it's that first, that f- like first amount of bytes is probably the first thing you want to optimize. And there's a lot of ways to make that better. Uh, but it's like, that's, that's the difference, like you were saying, the trade off you make. If you only have five hours to spend uh, and you can either cut down or, or like write a bunch of dynamic imports or make your first, make that first load of JavaScript and CSS and HTML as small as possible. Uh, or you can work on caching. That's when you know, you want to know your user split to decide where you put that time. Eventually you probably won't try and do all of it though.
1: Yeah. That's the thing is like all of this stuff can all work together. Uh, you just have to kind of look at all of it. If you're, if you're at the beginning of your, of your performance improvement journey and, and figure out what to, what to priori- prioritize first. Um, I think this next, uh, this next section kind of, you can, you can s- separate it into a couple of different chunks. Um, and this is all about what, uh, gets shipped after the first. And when we say shipped, it's like, uh, you know, when you go to a website and you get a response from that website, it's HTML. And then within that HTML, usually what's going to happen is it'll have a few, uh, link tags that will, or, um, uh, uh, script tags that will go on and fetch javascript as like kind of a second request so there's a couple of things that you can think about here one of them is doing that in a non-blocking way like that's a really important thing and we can talk about that and then the other thing is uh after you've made it non-blocking fetching those assets the javascript and css in such a way that it's uh, that you're you're kind of uh, you're breaking it up so you're there are all these different ways that you can either break it up into smaller files or break it up uh, in terms of um, in terms of uh, like how important something is so if something is um, not on the page we could say below the fold so if something is like off the bottom of the page and it's javascript you can lazy load that javascript and that will uh, that will mean it doesn't get sent in the first request It it really only gets sent once you need it but let's talk about the, the first thing which is like blocking the render so if you uh if i request a, a website and i get a response that's html and that html has a script tag in it uh that is uh, in the head and it doesn't have like a defer or an async attribute to it the html will stop there until it gets the javascript parses the javascript and then it will move on to the rest of the html and what that means is like the user's not going to see anything the user's going to see a blank page until all the, jav- all the javascript is parsed and then all the html is parsed and so if you have like a really big javascript if you have like a hundred kilobytes worth of javascript that has to get has to get parsed before the user can see anything that's a pretty slow user experience uh, and so that would be the first thing is just like putting some, uh, you know, putting like a defer tag on those scripts. A lot of this stuff, they were actually talking about this on, on syntax. A lot of this stuff just happens for you with a lot of the modern app generators.
0: Yeah, like Next or uh, Remix or whatever. Is, or they're going to handle a lot of like optimized loading experiences for you. Um, they're also, well, depending on your deploy strategy, you're also going to compress your assets for you. Um uh, you know, that type of stuff. So, uh, well, actually, I don't know if Next does that. I, I had to do some compression manually for Next uh, to compress assets and then send the compressed assets. But also CDNs will do that for you. So if you, um, if you put assets in a CDN, like images and stuff like that, they can compress the images. Uh, that's another thing is all your images, put them behind a CDN so that you're not, especially Cloudflare is really good for this if you have access to it. Uh, like Cloudflare image, we'll send back the the right image size for the customer's platform and like progressively enhance the image and stuff. So there's a couple of things there. Um, I want to go back a little bit actually to instrumentation because when you log, let's say TTI, um, you're just getting like, you're just getting a number. So it, it'll say like 3000 for like three, you know, three, seconds or 3000 milliseconds or whatever, however you do this, if it's with boomerang or cathode or, you know, the many tools to instrument this on your users and you just have like a, a big pile of data somewhere, you actually need to, you need to do some st- like statistical analysis with it. <laughs> like uh, You actually have to do something with it. So you might get this out of the box. If you if you're doing Google analytics or something like that, you might get some Uh, a statistical analysis out of the box, but it's worth talking about that there's generally like a few different uh, famous metrics that people look at when they're taking a data set of like, you know, TTI. And that's um, like P50, P90, you might hear terms like this. Uh, Like, so basically percentile, 50th percentile, 90th percentile, P99, you might hear these types of terms if you're like new in a big company. Um, That's worth talking about real quick. P50, P90, P99 the concept is you take your data set so you take all of your trimmed your uh, your TTIs then they're just numbers you sort them by you know smallest to largest and then P50 is you go to the the 50th percentile and you throw away everything before that and you take the very next one P90 is the same deal throw away 90% of them take the very next one 99 is the same deal and what those that's called an under metric what it's showing you is like uh, that at your P ninety, you know, ten percent of your customers are having generally this experience, like that—that that it's going to be this or worse. So, like, how bad is my worst ten percent? And P ninety will give you something like that. Uh, P ninety nine will how bad is my worst one percent? And what I like about the P metrics, P fifty, P ninety, P ninety nine, is that it's actual user numbers, um, whereas averages. So a lot of people use averages now. That's kind of like the new hotness is. You're using some sort of mathematical average is never a real user. It's giving you, uh, you know, it's giving you some sort of mathematical average, which is never a real user experience. So you end up creating something called a statistical user, which is like you have now averaged a bunch of things into one number, and no person is ever using that number. The example I use is like sh- T-shirt sizes. A medium is created for a person that doesn't exist. <laughs> If you've ever seen me in a medium t shirt, you'd know it's just doesn't like it doesn't fit any one person particularly well. But it is a better bet in general. So the the best, I would say the best metric to use for an average, which is gonna give you like a one number answer, uh, is trimmed mean. And trimmed mean is basically it's a mathematical average where you throw out certain parts of the data set. So like TM ninety or TM ninety nine is is you take the top TM99, you take the top 1% of data, you throw that out and then you average the rest. And why you would do that is you want to get rid of noise. So mm-hmm. you might have like someone enters your website in a effed up browser, just sits there for like 10 years of the hanging account, leaves the tab and for some reason comes back and then the log fires. And then you have one measurement at like four hours. <laughs> you don't want to include that in your average, right? So you want to throw out your best 1%. So you probably want to do tm Uh, like 1090, which throws at the bottom 10 and the top 10 because you don't want all your cached answers either because that's like super good. And you don't want all your worst ones because those are super noisy and you average the rest. And I realize I'm going on a long time and I apologize for this and no one's listening, but um, trimmed mean is probably your best bet for getting that average number, which is just like, what is a, uh, a, at a glance score of how I'm doing in performance and TM90, TM 90, like 1090 is probably going to be your best bet for that. So you got to think about once I get my instrumentation, what am I actually doing with it? Because the whole point of instrumenting performance is that you action on it. So that every day you take a look and you say, how are we doing? Uh, or like every week you take a look, and say, how are we doing? Oh, we're not doing well. We have now busted where we want to be. We should do something about it. And then you kind of look for levers to pull. Uh, and then you can like further dig into your data kind of beyond that point. But I just wanted to talk about metrics for a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's something that they, t- they talk about uh, in some of these like research papers we've read too for previous articles. Like, they talk about, we took this data, we took the, you know, certain uh, high and low percentages of outliers and we ignored them for this data set. And so it's like gives you kind of a, a better uh, picture of, yeah, just d- the average, the average user um yeah that's great calling out the like the statistics versus taking an actual take an average which like never gives you uh you know it's like you have two like your t-shirt analogy it's it's like you have two users one of them is a small t-shirt one's a large and you make up two medium shirts you're like this is perfect this is gonna work great nailed it yeah um uh so getting back to the javascript stuff so uh, once you've figured out the um the like non-render blocking piece of it. Once you've, you know, either, either added async, uh, deferred tags, or, um, you know, you can also move the scripts to the bottom of the bottom of the body. That's like another way to, to solve that particular problem. But then you can think about, um, yeah, like I talked about lazy loading or splitting up your JavaScript. So if you send over one big JavaScript bundle that includes like React and all of your libraries. Maybe you're using some like heavy JavaScript libraries. You could be sending like 500 kilobytes of of, uh, of content of like bytes to this this user. And even if you're uh, even if you're you're uh, using like the the defer tag, for example, so that it it gives the the website a chance to visually load it's not going to be interact. So here's where time to interactive comes in is if you're waiting five for 500 kilobytes of JavaScript to be parsed, you're not going to be able to interact with that site until the, that JavaScript is all parsed. And so the, the tactic here is to split that JavaScript up. And here's where people use the term, uh, like code splitting. And what that means is, um, is you're, you're basically like, uh, uh defining pieces of your, JavaScript uh, bundle that you can that you can split on so um, webpack will do this for you and it will uh, you can say like you know import each of my um, uh, each of my each of my uh, vendor modules so like all my NPM MP, node modules you can like import each of those individually so that instead of ha- instead of having this one giant node modules uh, bundle that you're sending to browsers you have uh, 50. Or something, but they're all tiny, and bro- modern browsers can handle lots of requests at the same time. Um, and so, it's like it's making use of this parallelization that can happen when you send over fifty small files instead of one giant file.
0: Yeah, that's a big win. Um, to further clarify, what's happening there with TTI, particularly like the way that that's measured, is it? It's um, it looks at visually ready, so the page has to be visually ready. And that means there's been a first contentful paint um, and then DOM content loaded event fires. So that's like everything in the DOM that they think should be there is there. And then uh, it looks, so the whatever instrumentation you're using, so like this is how Lighthouse does it, is then it looks for the first period of 500 milliseconds where there have been no long tasks so like uh, no javascript long tasks so that's a task that takes longer than 50 milliseconds to execute which is typically like a fetch uh you know or any other thing like you're running a bunch of scripting or something like that so no more long tasks no frames per second below 20 so like nothing that is like really crushing your cpu so again that's like heavy scripting react tons of re-renders or something like that and then uh Page busyness less than 10%, I think, uh, which page busy is like a, a another synthetic metric of like how many, what, what how you typically do this is you run a bunch of uh, set interval polling, and then you say like, how many times does the set interval deferred? And that's how you measure that. So then basically, that's why it's like, you want to break stuff up, because you want to get your thread open as much as possible. Uh, and you want to get content loaded to the user as much as po- as fast as possible to get that CTCI or TTI down, so you can kind of artificially manipulate some of this. Uh, although by artificially manipulating, you're probably still creating a net better user experience. So, like, there's terms like early flushing header. So you you like take a, a chunk of code like your header, and then all of that, the CSS and the HTML for that is like written in line in your HTML so that it comes really quick. And then you get this like nice header already. And then the rest of the content gets loaded and you make decisions about how you render your website based around making these metrics better. Um, so that's just like sort of the call is, is um, you're going to make, you start to make, as you get better at this, or as your performance numbers come down, you're going to start to make performance specific decisions about how your app is rendering. Because when you're doing code splitting and and things like this, you're actually going to change how the the user interacts with your application. Uh, So, like, using loading spinners and deciding when some things that are, like, behind multiple clicks to then get uh, fetched. So, like, I don't load my menu until after I click my menu. That's a a user choice. So, you start to make these choices to make your app feel faster, uh, which is... It, it's it gets you to a weird place. So this is sort of the the end of this like rant is, performance tracking can get weird. It, in the beginning, it's really fun because you're like, oh, awesome! I compressed my shit, and now I'm like, wow, I just got faster. And then you're like, oh, I broke up some files, and like, oh, I got a little faster. And then in the end, you're like, if I had a loading spinner in the main page, and I don't like, and I defer forty two scripts, then I can get ten tenths of a second faster. And then you lose, you completely lose sight of what's actually getting delivered. So the, the long story short here is use performance to a point, but hyper optimization uh, is also a risk. So I think get to the middle and then make intelligent decisions beyond that. But like, don't just get caught up in because you will, if this is your first time doing it, you're going to, you're going to go deep, but like try <laughs> and try and resist the urge to like change everything just to get better metrics.
1: Yeah, there's, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's a lot like code coverage. It's like anything sure, where you can, where, where you have a number that you can get to 100% on or whatever, you know, <laughs> yeah, or you can get, you, yeah. yeah, you can get five nines and it's, it, it, you always have to think about the trade-off. So uh, whether it's like code coverage, whether it's uh, performance optimization, whether it's uh, you know, SLOs that you're like uh, service level objectives that when I, when I say five nines, it's like, um your your availability your services availability is uh 99.99999 uh percent of the time so like you know it it allows you like i i can never remember the 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 actual number because like two minutes a month or something like that would be would be five yeah i never remember
0: those numbers yeah
1: yeah but uh but like that's great. That's like a great thing to aim for, except you have to always think about the trade-offs. How much work is it going to take to get to that point? And is that, is that, and what, what's the opportunity cost? What else could you be doing? Um, so, uh, just, Oh, just a couple more things about this JavaScript stuff. Cause there's a lot actually like within the one topic of optimizing your JavaScript and how you're delivering JavaScript to the browser. There's a lot there There's a lot of different things you can do. Um, I said code splitting. I think actually what I was talking about was chunking. There's like a, there's kind of a subtle difference between code splitting and chunking. I think, I don't know if it's, if it's called code splitting when Webpack is doing it. Cause Webpack has an option. You can just like basically turn it on that will do what I said, which was uh, it'll split out each of your node modules or however you want to do it. But then co- uh, code splitting or, you know, lazy loading. I mean, it's lazy loading is the thing I'm, I'm going to be talking about next. And what that is is when you, uh, you explicitly say, I'm going to import this, you know, you're, you're building a React component and you, uh, it, it, it depends on another component. Actually, you know, a, a, a place this comes up a lot is like routes. If you have uh, a router and you have three pages, say you have like a page, and about page and like a, a user dashboard page or something like that. And your user dashboard page has like a ton of JavaScript on it. And so you, when you land on the homepage, you don't want to you don't want to download all that JavaScript, so you put that behind a dynamic import. And what that lets you do is, when the user goes to the homepage, they just get the homepage JavaScript, and it's not until they navigate to the to the um, uh, the the uh, the dashboard page that they get all of that JavaScript delivered. And you can do things like uh, like optimize that for like preloading that JavaScript when they're on the homepage, and you like you think they're going go to go to, to the dashboard page. There there are things you can do there, but that's uh, that's lazy loading. So um, that's one example where you're you're doing it. If they are going to be navigating to a different page, I mentioned earlier, also things that are below the fold, so like they're not currently in view, um, you can lazy load that JavaScript too, and like it's all in service of giving the user the smallest amount of JavaScript that they need to view and interact with the part of the page that they're currently interacting with. Um, there's one other uh, there's one other piece that is related. That is, um, uh, oh, it's like a tree shaking. So tree shaking is is another thing, and this is like, yeah, it's 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 related. Um, it's a little bit more like chunking, where it's like your build tools is probably going to be the one doing it. You don't have to like explicitly usually put in a, a dynamic import. But tree shaking is where if you're importing a module um, that has a number of different imports, so uh, so like you're using something like lodash. That you can import all of these individual functions from it, but you're only using one, then you know, lodash might be. I don't know. I don't know how big lodash is right now. So say it's 100k, but the one function you need is 5k, and so then like you don't want to download the other 95k if you're never going to use it. So you can import that in a particular way, and you can you, you can basically tell your uh, your build tool, hey, only include the functions that I'm using in this bundle. And some libraries are built for that, and some aren't. But, uh, but that's like, yeah, that's another way that you can you can save your users some some JavaScript download.
0: Yeah, I mean, just in general, keeping track of your bundle size is a good call. Um, you know, bundle phobia is a good way to go. Like b- before you just npm install something, probably take a look uh, at the size of it and see, if, do I need all this stuff? There's a there's a bunch of small things you can do here. Um, you know, get rid of Moment.js and use native you know, date functions, if you can, uh, -hmm. don't import Lodash to do a deep equals, just take one thing. Uh, you know, there's like, just in general, try and limit your exposure to third party libraries. I think there was a period of time where just like NPM install everything. (laughs) And then, um, now there's risk there. Number one, security risk. And number two, uh, performance risk because you just could end up shipping huge bundles of JavaScript to do trivial tasks because everything that you import probably also has a fast and loose strategy with importing other crap so you end up with a massive you know chunk of JavaScript you probably didn't need and maybe there's duplication there because um, like your you know third party library that you import also imports lodash and you know it doesn't right. have a peer dependency and then now you're shipping two lodashes to your customer right. which yeah, happens more than you probably think you know. Yeah. Or two or react, reacts. Like, yes. Uh-huh. Oh, that's two, two different, different versions of the thing. Yeah. You have 16, yeah. and 17 or 17. Who knows? So there's, yep. there's a lot of stuff here. I love though. There was just one thing and it just says backend performance and it says, I'm not going to say anything <laughs> about that, <laughs> but, but backend performance for a front ender can mean a lot of things. And I want to go deep on this, but if you're in serverless architecture, because everybody loves Jamstack and junk, um, You know, if you're a front ender and you don't actually have a back end, then performance is a big part of your life because the the way that you set up your cloud architecture for how you're serving your website in a JAMstack, which just means like, you know, JavaScript and APIs and stuff, you don't have a server necessarily running things. You're probably using lambdas or whatever you're. Yeah, Lambda, I guess, is a ubiquitous term for like Google Cloud, AWS, all have Lambdas. It's just immediately, it's a a function that lives that you run. Uh, Man, you've got like cold starts. You've got asset size of the Lambda. You've got where is the Lambda's point of presence. You've got all sorts of things to worry about that could drastically impact your performance because you could do all this stuff and have the most hyper-optimized website in the world, and then you hit a f***ing cold start, and it takes like a minute to spin up your Lambda (laughs) because you have like a 10 megabyte Lambda uh, on like the cheapest box that you could buy, and it has to go NPM install Lodash 15 times because you didn't care about (laughs) your dependency management, and then spins it up, and all of a sudden, you get 700, 800 milliseconds, maybe a couple seconds of just dead time, uh, so V eight isolates are V8 the is, is that GCP <laughs> stuff?
1: Is that uh, no, uh, no, that's not GCP stuff. That's uh, V eight isolates are what uh, like that. Those are the new thing that everybody talks about to to like avoid cold starts. And I don't know that much about them, but I just want to. Say I've never heard, heard so. that.
0: <laughs> but that sounds really cool. Uh, here's what I would say: track time to first byte, uh, not just time to interactive. Uh, because time to first byte is going to be how quick is your user getting that first bit of JavaScript or first byte of data. And that's going to tell you how optimized your infrastructure is. So if you uh, don't just look at CTCI, because that is a compounding metric made up of many other things. If you have cloud architecture, look at time to first byte, because time to first byte, if you start to see bad time to first byte numbers, like long, if it's more than six, 700 milliseconds, and you're in AWS or GCP or Azure, uh, I would look at um, cold starts and tracking cold starts. And you can go into whatever console of choice that you have in any of those cloud platforms and probably look at Lambda invocations um, and, and track that as another uh, dashboard. I don't want to go too deep here, but Lambda invocations and the time, like runtime of your Lambda, you probably want to look at that. Sorry, I'm yeah, getting really I'm, deep now, but yeah.
1: Well, I was gonna say like we could just keep going, and and like we should have sort of prefaced this episode with with like we're gonna be talking about front end browser based uh, performance oh, optimization. Yeah, with, my like, bad. Cause, but cause, this like, is part of it, know, though. Like this, this is I mean, part the, of it. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say because we front end is talking. wide. Yeah, it is wide, and 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 like when you talk about some of the stuff that you're talking about, which is like where it gets deployed to, and and the 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 you know basically the space in between the server and the, and the browser like that, or that's not even this place between the server and the browser. That's the job. That's the shipping, the JavaScript, but like you're talking about the server startup time. But then once you get past that, there's also like, uh, you hit hit an endpoint for some, for some user data. And like, there's any number of things that could go wrong there. And so then you can get into backend tracing and, and thinking about like tracing the, the path of the data from when it, uh, when it first, hits the end point to like go into the database and come back and all like, there's just, it's, it's, there is so much that we can talk about that, um that, yeah, I, th- I mean, I th- you just kind of have to have to s- stop talking about it at a certain point because
0: we can go on for four hours. <laughs> My bad audience. Uh, I, this is a top, like, this is another one. This is, I think both of us have spent a lot of time, uh, steeped in performance because it's, we've both worked in performance. I mean, we worked at blank, uh, the company mm-hmm. that uh, you used still at and I used to be at, <laughs> which is a very performance sensitive company because e-commerce is highly performance sensitive. You know, you lose a hundred milliseconds, you lose a hundred million dollars or something like that. Some like stupid amount, um, you know, performance sensitivities, like just starts to train you to think in this way. Um, mm-hmm. But I actually think it's good for everybody to think this way because slow websites are like they suck for the user experience. They're frustrating. It's yeah. so frustrating. Yeah. yeah. And and there is like you, like we, like
1: we're talking about, you can kind of go off the deep end and go down a real rabbit hole, but you can also not do that. You can also just do a few things that we, that we were talking about, like paying attention to the, uh, the dependencies that you're paying attention to the libraries that you're installing. Like how just like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to run NPM install. Let me take, two seconds and see how big that library is so i can just know like you don't even have to take any action on it you're just like okay i'm gonna make a mental note that i just installed this 20 kilobyte library or whatever yeah um, but uh but yeah so it's a big it's a big topic um i i, I think it was kind of interesting to me to talk i the reason why i, I suggested a performance article kind of like a performance basics article is because i remember a time when i was kind of like it was all a completely different language to me it was just like i would hear talk people talk about performance things and performance terms and lazy loading and and uh p95 and and i just none of it meant anything to me it was so overwhelming and like intimidating um and so uh i i was i was you know getting a baseline understanding of that stuff helped me i think uh get a better understanding of even how it all works and how, how like the web works.
0: Yeah. This article doesn't go into measurement stuff very much, which are metrics and measurements, which is why I wanted to like touch on it with P50, P90 and trimmed mean, those definitions and stuff like that. Cause that was the stuff that I would hear people like oh, our P90 is going bad. And I was like, what are you talking about? I didn't, I didn't understand. Uh, but it, that is all to say, like it's, it's out there to learn. Um, and every, everything is obtuse and seems incredibly complicated until you learn the vernacular. Um, and that's always the way, like every job sounds impossible to do until you just like do it for five minutes and get steeped in the language. So familiarizing yourself with some of these terms, uh, is probably a good idea. And then just, you know, I'll give you the, I'll give you your benchmarks, your P50 TTI two seconds. Uh, is a good number. Your P ninety TTI five seconds is a good number. So th- th- that's actually those are great numbers. So I would say shoot for that. And we'll call, you know that's that's all I have to say. Actually, I have I could I have hours to say. about that, <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, I think we both do, but I don't think the listener does. Nope, they so don't th- care. Chris forty
0: seven minutes. They're all gone. Got, yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> all right, so let's let's bring them back with a little. <laughs> what are you learning? All right. What are you learning?
0: I am – this is a very specific thing. I am learning working with Canvas in React in an accessible way. Oh, cool. That's that's interesting. That's
1: a fun – I love – I weirdly love canvas like working with the canvas. I think cuz like I my background has some game development in it and so whenever mm. I hear people doing things on the canvas I'm like, "Oh, fun. It like brings me back to the good old days where I like didn't know anything about anything and I was like I could just move pixels around like x and y <laughs> values. I know how to do
0: that." <laughs> yeah, I so I don't have the same love for canvas. I don't not have love for I, I don't hate it. I just don't really have an opinion cuz I don't or I I the last project I did in canvas was for uh, a freelance project I did in 2015. And it was making this um, like particle logo for a company in Canvas and you could hover over it and the particles would disperse and stuff. It was fucking cool. And it took me so long and they ended up scrapping the whole thing. Uh, wow. So that was a super bummer. But yeah, that's that's all I'm learning is just working with Canvas. So there's the, the long story short is there was um, a heavy use of Canvas with a mouse only. Uh, And then how do we make that accessible? Uh, Because just, and this is something I learned, is just because the canvas is an inherently visual medium, you would think, oh, like a screen reader user's blind, so they don't need to use that. There are people who just physically can't use mouses, but uh, are sighted users. So you you should make, if you have like critical functionality uh, required to use your application anyway in a canvas, uh, it should also be keyboard accessible. Mm-hmm. So that was tough. To, that was, that's been a, that's been a steep learning curve for me.
1: Yeah. I, 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 uh, I would want to hear more about that. Cause that sounds, uh, that like just the, the idea of trying to make a canvas, um, accessible and, and keep, you know, imagining tabbing around a, a canvas, like how you would do that. And I can't, I, I guess I could start to think about how to do that. But anyway, that sounds interesting. That's cool.
0: That's what I'm learning. What are you learning?
1: Nice. Uh, I am getting a little bit back into Rust. So, uh, Rust was something I, I picked up, like the basics of Rust, over the uh, the pandemic. A little bit, I was kind of like, you know, I'm we're in a pandemic. <laughs> I got I got nothing else to do. Let me just like see what all these programming languages are about. So, I've never used Rust in a professional uh, setting yet, but we are talking about maybe uh, writing uh, a library in Rust. Because it it like it would be good for it, you know. It's speaking of optimization. Uh, this particular library, it would be good to optimize it, and it would be, I, 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 you know, I think. And and we're gonna we're gonna measure before we before you know measure twice and cut once. Me- measure before we put in a bunch of work into it. But uh, it, it's likely that that Rust would would be a much better choice than JavaScript when for this library. So uh, I'm getting back into uh, you know remembering how Rust works. It's really interesting. You know, you think about writing a language and there is the syntax that you have to know. So like, you know, you write something in Python versus JavaScript, the syntax is very different looking and same with Rust. And you have to know kind of the API of how to use the language. But there's this whole other layer that I kind of forgot about uh, since it's been a little while since I've used it, which is like, how do you set up the project and how do you like you know how do you set up how do you import modules from somewhere rust has its own way of doing that and so does python and so does javascript every language has its own way not of expressing the actual code but uh expressing how the files are related to each other and how you can import sure. things yeah. from yeah so anyway that's that's been that's been fun i really like working in rust like the little bit that i used it it's just like it's pretty verbose but it, it just it there was something fun about it. I think maybe because it's uh you know it's kind of famously has these these um really nice error messages and yeah it's just fun. It's like it's a fun 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 time.
0: I am that's next on my list is to learn Rust because I um I don't know if I want to be a front end dev forever because I think I've talked about I just want to expand my horizons because front end uh I talked about it in the last episode kind of it's like Sucks sometimes. Um. <laughs> so you know, I don't know. I I always like yeah. dream about the other side. Yeah, you. I mean, that's.
1: I'm always trying to trying to learn about more parts of the stack because, like, it's just interesting. Like, it, even if you never use it, you're like, it's. I don't know. It's kind of the same thing as learning another language for me. I, right. I, I'm a big proponent of that, and and I think that it's like gives you not just a look into how other people are. Uh, it it doesn't even just just tell you like how people are writing things in Rust, but it gives you another way to think about things. When you're writing code in a different language, you're thinking about it differently. And then you're also thinking about your own language, you know, the language that you're most familiar with. You, you see that in kind of a different light. Uh, it's a little yeah. bit more like, I don't know, abstract or philosophical or whatever, but, um, but I, I yeah, I think that there's an advantage there. Cool. Nice. Well, keep us updated. Yeah. Let's see. We got to we got to call this by name. This is time for time to sail away on the Good News Cruise, the Good News Cruise.
0: Every time. <laughs> Every time. It's also worth noting that we we record these at night. And I am usually still at the office. So it's always like the very last thing we do at the very end of a day <laughs> on a Thursday, mm-hmm. which is like near the end of the week. So it's come to be like, a, it's, it's kind of a, uh, you know, flag in the sand for me. When I hear the good news cruise music, now I start to get, I'm like, ah, I'm getting close to the weekend. Almost there. I love that. Yeah. So we, it is nice. we have,
1: we have uh, fr- it was a little, little tangent. We have Friday tie day. So every Friday. Ah, uh, for dinner we order th- Thai food from this like our local Thai place, and it's so good. And it's that's my market for like oh, Now it's the weekend. We're eating Thai. Nice. food. Nice.
0: That is. I thought you meant you had to wear a tie to work. I was like, this sounds awful. Oh no. Um, <laughs> well, I did okay. work at a place that that did it. It was like uh, it was like
1: um, reverse. Uh, casual Fridays, because like it was a cat. It was it was at a a animation studio, so like it was it was that we weren't wearing suits to to work, but on Fridays people would yeah
0: yeah, people would uh, wear suits on Fridays to be fun. Um, So I said what I was learning first. Now, what is your good news, Joe? Or are you griping again? Because you've been a grumpy Joe for a while.
1: I've been a grumpy Joe. I don't want to be a grumpy Joe. Um, let's see. I will. I so I don't have any good news prepared this week. Uh, Do you want me to go first? No. You already can I I have. I have some good news. It's very, it's hyper local, local to me and my family, which is that my dog smells better. (laughs) Last week, uh, I reported that my dog got sprayed in the face by a skunk. (laughs) I'm just um, getting
0: this now. (laughs) I was like,
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right, good. So my, my, uh, you know, my dog got sprayed in the face by a skunk and uh, we cleaned her all up and we have been, intermittently putting baking soda on her face, uh, over the course of the week, which of course she loves that. Um, but she's been a good sport about it and she smells way better. I have a terrible sense of smell. So like, I don't notice it, but my wife has a really good sense of smell. And so when she's like, okay, the dog smells better. And I'm like, oh, okay. Now I know the dog actually does smell better.
0: Well, that's a win. And I'm sure Olive is pumped that she doesn't stink terribly. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's good news. Um, my good news is you've probably already read this good news. This isn't obscure good news. I just thought it was cool. Um, so I've never watched Survivor, but apparently it's a popular show. They've done forty-three seasons, uh, which is absurd to me. Wow, that's a lot. Of um, I don't watch it either. Yeah, I never, I never watched it. I, a, f- a mutual colleague of ours. Um, Ray O'Connor is a massive Survivor fan and has a long Uh-oh. life plan of getting on Survivor. And oh, I think he's really great. thought it out. Anyways, so Survivor 43 winner, the guy who just won, Mike Gabler, donated the entire million dollar prize to veterans. Uh, wow. He's, he did it on the episode as he won. He said, I'm giving the entire million dollars to um, particularly veterans who are struggling with PTSD to curb the suicide epidemic among veterans, which As you know, I'm a veteran and it's very close to my heart. Um, he just said there are people who need it more. His father, uh, Robert Gabler was a Green Beret. So he um he donated the entire prize. I just thought that was pretty awesome. And then when when pressed further, they said, like, are you already rich or something? He said, No, I didn't come for money. I worked for everything, but I realized I'm already rich at home and there are people who need it more. So I thought that was just super cool. Uh, That is great. The the guy just seems awesome. He was just, he's talking about, he's like, well, you know, what this has taught me is I need to be a better father, a better husband, a better son, a better brother. Uh, You know, I just thought that was really cool. So that's my good news. Yeah,
1: that's amazing. I, I really like the fact that he did it on the show too. Like you hear about that sometimes happening, but it's sort of like a, a footnote. And when you're, you know, probably many people never hear about that, but when it's on the show, it's that's high profile. That's cool. Good, good for, good for him. Mike Gabler. Mike Gabler. Games?
0: Yeah. And I love that it was on the show f- because we often hear bad stuff in the news and then you co- you get copycats. Or I don't know if you've ever heard of that term, the copycat, usually oh, yeah. in very bad contexts, like someone does something terrible and then other people do it to get similar fame. Uh, the effect works in the other way. We just don't often publicize good things happening. Like we yeah. have to go to special websites to get good news. You don't get good news in your news app. You get f-ing doom scrolling. I got to stop swearing. You get doom scrolls. <laughs> So, you know, it's nice to see like someone on one of the biggest platforms in the world, which is survivors, like uh, give money to veterans because they're killing themselves at a, at a rate that's like three X to one, uh, the general suicide rate. So, uh, you know, that would be, that's hopefully going to help some people. So good on you, Mike Gabler. And thank you your, to your father, Robert Gabler, for his service to the Green Bros. Yeah, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, and with that, thank you, dear listener. Uh, you didn't give us a million dollars. Maybe next time. But Next time. Uh, but thank you for listening. And uh, let's see, uh, what, what do we got? You do, you do the spiel. You're good.
0: At Make this sure spiel. to go, uh, whether you're listening in Spotify, Apple, Pocket Cast, uh, G- Google, Android, Podcast, whatever. I think we're syndicated on all those. Give us five stars and write you know a wonderful review for us. Tell us how great we are. Uh, whether you think we are or not, it would really help us out. Uh, also, <laughs> go to the website, RuntimeRundown.com. Uh, not Runtime Runtown. Someone made fun of me for saying that the other day. Yeah, Mike, screw you. Um, <laughs> I didn't even notice. That. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, you know, I collapsed it. You go to RuntimeRundown.com and uh, you can comment on the episodes there. Give us ideas for future episodes. Uh, you, you can feel free to content direct us because we need the help. So if you want to hear a specific <laughs> type of episode, you know, let us know. Uh, I have heard that people want more guests. So that is, someone told me that the other day. They want more guests. Oh, I have some ideas for guests. All right, cool. Okay, we'll chat offline, but that's it. Go to runtimerundown.com, Give us five stars. Keep listening and let us know if we mess anything up and if you want to hear anything different. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. That was great. You see, I couldn't have done that. Great job, Evan. Thank you. All right,
1: goodbye, everybody.